Good morning, College Park. It is wonderful to be with you. Let us go to the Lord in prayer, and then we will begin. Father God, I know my heart is full from singing your word today, singing about your gospel, that we have a firm foundation in the Lord, that in you alone do we stand, Father. And Lord, now as we come to hear your word, I ask that we would be people of the word that would be ready to receive your food, your holy food today, Father, that it may nourish our souls, and that when we leave here today, we are changed because we have seen you in the scriptures. Lord, we love you, and we dedicate this time to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So if you've been with us during this month of August, uh, you know that we've been working through a series called Why We Believe the Bible that Eric talked about earlier. And during this sermon series, we've been taking a look at some different aspects of the doctrine of the Scriptures. So here at College Park, we believe that the Scriptures are a gift from God to the church, and we want to understand this gift that we've been given. And if you haven't been with us, uh, just give you a quick recap. In the first week of the series, Pastor Mark unpacked the doctrine of inspiration. There we learn that all the Scriptures are breathed out by God, And because all the scriptures come from our creator, they have an innate authority over our lives. We do not stand above scripture, but we stand under it. We do not judge God's word, but God's word judges us. In the second week, we looked at the doctrine of inerrancy. We learned that the scriptures are without error because the Holy Spirit carried men along as they wrote down what God had intended them to write. And because these scriptures are inspired and inerrant, we know that they are all trustworthy and that they are all true and that they are all worthy to be studied and obeyed. And then last week we heard from Dr. John Piper and he helped us to see that the whole of the Bible, not just the New Testament, is actually about Jesus. When you open your Bibles and read about the many wonders in the Old Testament, we actually see the glory of Christ. The whole scripture is about Jesus and displays his glory. And for the final sermon in this series, we get to talk about and unpack the sufficiency of scripture. Or in other words, are the scriptures enough? Are the inspired words of this book right here enough to give us sufficient knowledge of God and ourselves? Or do we need to supplement this book with maybe an extra spiritual experience or maybe another audible voice or maybe another prophetic word in order for us to have confidence that what we believe is actually true? And in addition, the doctrine of sufficiency begs the question, to what extent do the scriptures deal and help us deal with life's complex problems? To what extent are they helpful for us today in the hardest issues of life? Now, out of all the aspects of the doctrine of the Scriptures, I think this is probably the hardest thing for us to both believe and also to practice. Again, the Word may be sufficient for us on on Sundays, but is it wholly sufficient for our problems that we face during the week? Again, you you may be quick to say, yes, I believe the Scriptures are, are sufficient, 
But does the manner in which you live your life throughout the week and in the midst of difficult seasons and of difficult um, decisions that you're going to make, does it show that you trust that this word is actually sufficient? Are you satisfied with the words that are written here and with the guidance and instruction that you've been given, or are you hoping for something more? Consider with me a couple of these situations where the sufficiency of Scripture is questioned. Maybe when you're debating on whether to take a job or not, or to buy this house or that house, or to send your kids to this school or that school. Do you know what God has to say about those decisions? Or are you praying for some sort of sign from God to give you peace of mind outside of the Scriptures? When a friend tells you that their marriage is in shambles, does your counsel include the Scriptures, or do you just give them your personal experience? When you're battling sin, the same sin day after day, and the guilt and the shame are so great, are you confident that the promises of God in this book are enough to keep you fighting, to keep you believing, Or are you willing to try a different path, to try different promises, to hopefully ease your conscience? When we are faced with questions regarding the sufficiency of Scripture, we face these questions way more often than you think. And in these difficult and complex situations, you will have to ask yourselves, do I truly believe that God's Word is sufficient for all of these things? And here at College Park, we are committed to opening this word each week because we believe it is sufficient to speak clearly in the most difficult problems that we face. We believe it is sufficient to speak on race, on authority, on parenting, on sexual desires, on marriage, on singleness, on fighting life-dominating sins for problems that we face today and for problems that we will face tomorrow. We believe it is sufficient for everything we need in this life until the Lord returns. So as we look at our passage today, and I'm just going to be focusing on verses 3 and 4 of 2 Peter 1, I hope that you will see that the doctrine of sufficiency of Scripture is not kind of this periphery doctrine over there on, the, on this island that we can agree to disagree about, but rather I hope that you see that from this passage that the sufficiency of the Scriptures is an essential doctrine because it is tied to the sufficiency of Christ. Again, I will contest that if you believe that Christ's work on the cross for you is sufficient, then you must believe his word is also sufficient. We will only see our Bibles as sufficient as long as we see Christ as sufficient. God's word will be enough because Christ is enough. And if we don't see our Bibles as sufficient, we will not see Christ as sufficient. So I hope to show you today that Christ has given us everything necessary today to know God, to know ourselves, to fight sin, to grow in godliness, and to keep us believing until he comes again. And we find all these things through Christ's living and abiding word. If you open your Bibles, make sure you get there. Um, To give you some background about this context before we dive into the passage, again, just to remind you that This is Peter's probably last letter that he's writing before his death. If you look at verse 14, it says, The putting off my body will be soon. And we can take clues from the rest of the book that Peter's purpose in writing this letter is to remind Christians of their sufficient salvation in Christ 
and to encourage them to continue to pursue godly living even in the face of those who would encourage the church to do otherwise. Specifically, Peter acknowledges throughout this letter, and especially you'll see in chapter 2, that false teachers had come in from within the church and were questioning the apostles' message, and they claimed it to be a myth. And they sought to do this to undercut the apostles' authority by questioning the promise of Christ's second coming, and then they would twist the apostles' teachings and the scriptures in order to make room for their lifestyles. And in the face of all these false teachings, the church, again, is most likely asking themselves some of the very similar questions we may be asking ourselves today. Can the gospel that we first believed be relevant in a progressive culture? Should we reinterpret some of the Bible in order that we might be able to include some more beliefs and more lifestyles and just kind of put it under the banner of Christ's love? And in the face of this this pressure, Peter points believers to their sufficient salvation in Christ and the sufficient scriptures to answer answer these questions and answer the questions that are come up in any trial that we may face in the future. If you're taking notes today, again, my outline is this as we unpack verses 3 and 4, is that we can trust the scriptures are sufficient for us today because one, they have a sufficient source, two, they have a sufficient scope, Three, they have a sufficient path. Four, they have sufficient promises. And five, they produce a sufficient result. And when we see the scriptures as sufficient, we ought to have a sufficient response or an appropriate response to their sufficiency. So let's look first at the sufficient source. Verse three, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Our sufficient source is Christ's divine power. We must first recognize that salvation, again, in all of its facets, in our calling, in our justification, that being like declared righteous by God, our sanctification, being made more like Jesus, and in our future glorification, all of it we have received from the Lord and not from ourselves. Again, all, all throughout this series, we have argued That the reason you can trust these scriptures, that they're a firm foundation to live your life upon, is because they ultimately are not brought forth by men, but they are brought forth by God. And the source of the power to save ourselves, to resist temptation, to figure out God's will for our lives, or even to help a friend in crisis, if it came through our own understanding, our efforts would always prove to be insufficient. Again, maybe by sheer willpower, you know, we might be able to gossip less or maybe talk ourselves out of some anxiety or hold our tongue when we're angry. But we will soon always find out that in our own strength, we are insufficient to complete this task. Again, we may be able to modify some of our behavior to make it look good for our peers. But when judgment day comes, we will be found insufficient to make ourselves acceptable before Christ. Again, the scriptures tell us that those who are in the flesh, those, those without the spirit, they cannot please God. We cannot please God in our own strength. Therefore, the source of a sufficient salvation and sufficient words must come from Christ and not ourselves. Christ's divine power to save and to speak is our sufficient source. 
Number two, secondly, our salvation in Christ provides a sufficient scope. So God's divine power did not simply rescue us from hell and then leave us some kind of helpful words as we kind of go about life. But rather, look at verse 3 again. It says, His divine power has granted to us what? What does He grant to us? All things that pertain to life and godliness. Not just some of the things, all the things. He has provided a sufficient scope. Now, I don't know about you guys, but this time of year gets me really, really excited because football is back. I love football. And in order to get myself ready for football season, I totally nerd out and I watch old football games and I watch old highlights uh, on YouTube to kind of get myself pumped up for the season that we're about to experience. And as I watch some of these old YouTube clips and highlights, I, I often notice that there's this big black, these two black columns on each side of the highlight. Well, maybe you've seen this before. But back in, way back in the day, back in the, the 90s, and uh, back in the early 2000s, they would broadcast games, right, and movies, what they called full screen. Who remembers full screen TV? Yeah. And a full screen shot would cut off the edges, again, of the picture in order to make it fit your TV at home. So you'd only actually see part of what the camera was actually filming. Again, nowadays... What we do, we broadcast in, in widescreen, right? And so that we can see the whole picture. We don't miss out on anything. The scope of the picture is now sufficient. Similarly, Christ's redemption addresses everything necessary that we will face in our lives. The scope of Christ's resources is sufficient for us. He does not give us a full screen shot that we only can see, that only addresses parts of our lives. Again, we will not have to upgrade our salvation in the future. We will not have to wait in line for an HD New Testament because the scriptures already address everything that we need. Christ knows that throughout our lives, we will face trials of various kinds. We will have a variety of illnesses, a variety of jobs, maybe some difficult family members, maybe some heartbreaking relationships. And Christ has granted to us all that we need to deal with these things in a way that please Him. I want to focus in on these words, life and godliness. So what, what does Peter mean by life and godliness? To be clear, Peter does not mean life in the strictly physical sense. And that the gospel provides maybe all the bottled water or canned food that you need to feed your family but rather all that we need for our spiritual well-being. That is, how to face our biggest problem, which is sin, and how to pursue our greatest goal, which should be godliness. Furthermore, God does not give us all the information we desire to know, like the exact date of his second coming, or the name of your future spouse, or the Powerball numbers. It doesn't give us that. But rather... In Christ, he has provided us all the divine words and resources to keep us trusting, to keep us believing, and to keep us progressing in godliness until we meet the Lord. Just to explain this a little bit further, I got a friend who's a, who's a dentist, and God does not tell my friend the dentist how to fill a cavity or to perform a root canal, but he does tell him everything he needs in order to pull a tooth or to fill a cavity in a way that pleases and glorifies God. 
Listen to this quote by theologian John Frame. He says this, Certainly Scripture contains more specific information about theology than dentistry. But sufficiency in this present context is not sufficiency of specific information, but sufficiency of divine words. Scripture contains all the divine words sufficient for all of life. It has all the divine words a dentist needs and all the divine words a theologian needs. So it is just as sufficient for dentistry as it is for theology. Just unpack that quote a little more. God does not give my friend the dentist uh, a divine lecture on how to pull a cavity, but rather how to fill a cavity to the glory of God, and that he will find his greatest joy in his work when he works for the praise of God rather than the praise of man. When my friend comes home from a really hard day uh, at work or at the office, the word that will comfort his soul will not be found in his dentist textbooks. But the word that says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And because of that word, my friend can get up the next day, go to work with joy, because Christ and his word have proven to be sufficient for him again and again. So Christian, No matter how difficult your job may be, no matter how tense your marriage might be at this point, no matter how long you have waited, no matter the situation, God always has a sufficient word for you to help you handle each day in a way that pleases him and that will produce the most joy. In Christ, we have sufficiency for life and godliness. The scope of the scriptures is sufficient. We need not look anywhere else. So we've seen the source of sufficiency comes from Christ's divine power and the scope of sufficiency is for all things pertaining to life and godliness. And third, the scriptures give us a sufficient path. Again, we we don't handle all of our difficult situations well, do we? Uh, We don't make all the right decisions and we don't always find it a joy to obey God's commands. Why is this? Because growth and godliness it doesn't happen overnight, right? We don't get zapped with holiness or full understanding when we come to know the Lord when we first believe, but rather we grow in our understanding of how to utilize the scope of the sufficient resources God has granted to us. And the sufficient path we must take to grow in this godliness is through the knowledge of Christ. So the sufficient path is the knowledge of Christ. We see this back in our, in our verse it says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him, that being Christ, who called us to His own glory and excellence. The path we must take in order to experience the sustained joy of godly living and all the necessary answers to our greatest problems is through the knowledge of Christ. So the only way we receive all things is through knowing Jesus. And the only way in which we come to a sufficient knowledge of Jesus is through his sufficient word. Again, to be clear, that this knowledge of Christ is not something that's merely like intellectual, right? We are not called by Jesus in order to learn facts about Jesus or in order to like some pass some sort of test. Rather, the knowing Peter is talking about here is a knowing that communicates an intimate and relational knowing. 
and knowing that happens when the Spirit of Christ opens your eyes to see that Jesus is both King of kings and friend of sinners. And knowing that sees Jesus' hatred for sin and his love for his enemies. And knowing that does not leave you the same person after seeing the glory and excellence in the scriptures. Do you know this Jesus? And have you been changed by him after having met him in the scriptures? Or after having read about him in the scriptures, have you now become bored with him? I think many of us in the church, you know, if you've been in the church for a long time, we become so familiar with knowing about Jesus that we forget how wonderful it is to truly know him and to be known by him. We forget that he sympathizes with our weaknesses and he intercedes for us on our behalf. We forget that he knows what we need even before we ask him. And we forget that when we stray away from the fold, he is the good shepherd who goes out and brings us back home. We forget these things because many of us have become bored with the scriptures, and therefore we have become bored with Christ. Even the language that we use about identity in Christ has become so normal to us that we almost start looking for new identities. We look to our careers, to our kids, to our reputations for something only Christ alone can satisfy. And we may not say this, this outright, but when we look for new identities, we are looking for a new Jesus, a Jesus outside the pages of Scripture. And it is not that Jesus has somehow failed to satisfy our inner longings, but we have failed to see him for who he truly is. It's an incredible prayer that, that Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 3. He prays this for the church. He says that they may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul prays here that without God's help, your heart and your mind can't even handle the breadth and the length and the depth and the height of Jesus' love for you. I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't pray those type of prayers before I read my Bible. I don't pray, Lord, Lord, give me strength right now because my mind can't even grasp the love that you're about to show me in Christ Jesus. I wish I did. We forget that when we open our Bibles, we meet Jesus. We hear from Jesus and we get to be changed by Jesus. In the scriptures, and by the Spirit, we have all we need to know about God and ourselves. And we have a sufficient path to satisfy our deepest longings, to calm our deepest fears, and to find sufficient help in our time of need. And when God opens our eyes to behold the glory and the excellence of Christ in the Scriptures, we also then receive His sufficient promises. That's number four. His sufficient promises. Look at our passage again, and we'll move on to verse 4. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. We can know the scriptures are sufficient because our sufficient Christ gives us sufficient promises. I think you'll agree with me uh, that in our day, in our culture, especially during an election season, we get promised a lot of things. And much of the time, these promises come up very, very short, right? 
when the cable guy maybe, when he calls and says, hey, I'll be there between 2 and 6, he comes at 7. When the package is supposed to arrive between two to three business days, it gets there in four. You know, when you go to check out, you know, the place that says it's supposed to have the best burger in town, you're expecting the best, you leave underwhelmed. These, these unfulfilled promises, again, these are probably a little often, they're easy to get over. But there are many promises that we, we get handed that are not as easy to get swallowed when they go unfulfilled. That dream job that was supposed to comfort bring comfort and security, has proven to be temporary. That praise and affirmation that your boss, that, that promise from your boss to fulfill your job, again, that, that praise has begun to wear off. That relationship that, that promised long-lasting love and comfort has proven to be a lie. And that fantasy that promised to satisfy your, the, longest, the longing desires of your heart has left you guilt-ridden and ashamed. Again, the world offers plenty of, of cheap promises, but we see in our passage here that Christ grants us promises that are great in number and are of the highest value. Promises for today and promises for tomorrow. Promises that are sufficient to keep you believing, to keep you trusting, even in the darkest of circumstances. If you're here today and you're in Christ, He promises you that all your sins are forgiven, both past, present, and future. He promises that the record of debt that stood against you is canceled, having nailed it to the cross, and you bear it no more. He promises that the sin, that sin no longer has dominion over you, for you are no longer under the law, but you are under grace. He promises that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He promises that the same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead now lives inside you and is the guarantee of your salvation. He promises you that those who trust in him will never be put to shame. He promises that in this world you will have tribulation, but that we can take heart, for he has overcome the world. He promises that nothing in all creation will ever separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. He promises that he will never leave you or forsake you. He promises help when you're in danger, rest when you're weary, guidance when you are lost, wisdom when you ask in faith, comfort when you are downcast, sufficient grace in your weakness, joy when you walk by the Spirit. And he promises that one day he will come again to complete the good work that he began in you and to vanquish all sin and death and establish his kingdom forever and ever. And those who hold on to these sufficient promises will endure to the end, and they will one day see their Savior face to face. So church, do you believe that these promises are sufficient for you? Are these promises precious to you? Are they enough for you? And if we see Christ's promises as insufficient, we see Christ as insufficient and we open ourselves to all the enticements and pleasures of the world. When we open our Bibles, we get to see the glory of the sufficient Christ. And we can believe that these promises are sufficient for you. You will keep the faith even though you do not see. And you will experience sufficient grace even in your weakness. You can trust Christ's promises are sufficient for you because you know Christ is sufficient. For all of his promises, all the promises of God, find their yes in him.
him. But we must remember that these promises of God that he's granted to us, again, we're, we're not just supposed to hang them on our walls and give, us, give ourselves warm fuzzies when we come home. But rather, these gospel promises have an intended purpose. These sufficient promises are designed to produce a sufficient result. And look at the last part of our verse. By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So all the sufficient promises we receive in Christ are given to us in order that we might become partakers in the divine nature. Now this does not mean that we become God or that we become little gods, you know, with the lowercase g. But it's still no less amazing. Again, God saves us through these promises so that we may participate and experience the fullness of the love and joy and peace that the fellowship of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit experience. Now again, it's really hard for us to imagine what it's going to be like to fully experience uh, this partaking of the divine nature, to partake in the glory uh, of the Son um, that's completely uninterrupted by sin, uninterrupted. But God in His grace has given us glimpses of this divine nature um, even today because He has sent His Spirit into our hearts and when you, when you choose to walk by the Spirit, when you live godly lives, you experience in part the joy and the unity and the fellowship that we will one day always experience within the Godhead. For example, when your family is gathered around the dinner table and your conversations are filled with love and holy laughter, you partake in the divine nature. When you reconcile with your spouse after a long day of arguing and there's unity once again, You've experienced the divine nature. When after a hard day, you have a, and you have a great heart-to-heart with a, a brother or sister in Christ, and you leave feeling very encouraged in the Lord, you've experienced the divine nature. When the Lord gives you words to say, when you step out in faith and witness to that coworker, you've experienced the divine nature. When you say no to a sin that has gripped you for very many years, you've experienced the divine nature. When you notice your heart's delight is to prefer one another instead of yourself, you've experienced the divine nature. When you can't wait to get to church to gather with God's people and to sing and to hear God's word together, you've experienced the divine nature. All these things and many more are just a taste of what the fullness of participating in the divine nature will be like. And it will be like this for all eternity. So these are the sufficient results to God's, um, to God's sufficient promises. Again, many of you, again, including myself, are probably wondering, like, how, how do I get more of that? How do I get more of that godly, that unity, that fellowship with the Son? Well, as we see here, the way we experience the intended result of the promises of God is through paying attention and standing firm in His sufficient word. Turn, turn with me in your Bibles. We're going to go to a different passage to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I want to show you this real quick. As you turn there, again, I really want you to see the clear connection between sharing in the divine nature and reading and obeying your Bibles. So, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and we'll be in verses 13 to 15. 
2 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 13. God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel, that's the knowledge of Christ, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions that we are taught by us, either by spoken word or by our letter. So you can see the, the connection in our passage. God calls us to himself, saves us through the gospel message of Christ, giving us his spirit so that we might share in the glory of Christ. And how do we do that? By standing firm in the apostles' teaching that was written down. And the apostle Paul backs up everything that Peter's been saying. God's word written down by the apostles and the prophets are a sufficient means by which we are to grow in godliness and ultimately share in Christ's glory. So if you want more peace in your home, you want more joy in your life, you want more patience with your children, you want to conquer sin, then stand firm in the promise of God and obey his commands written down in the scriptures. And this is just really cool. As, as you open your Bibles to be reminded of the promises of Christ for you, the Spirit always works in you and through his word to slowly but surely transform your mind and your heart to be more like Jesus from one degree of glory to the next. And as you behold Jesus in the scriptures, you begin to love what he loves and you begin to hate what he hates. You start to delight in the things that Christ delights in. And the unity that Christ experiences with the Father and the Spirit, you experience with one another. Until that one day when he appears, we should be like him because we shall see him as he is. So the scriptures are sufficient because they have a sufficient source, a sufficient scope, a sufficient path, sufficient promises. And they will produce a sufficient result. So then, how are we to live in light of these sufficient scriptures? What is a sufficient, or in other words, an appropriate response? So as Joe said, I've, I've officially been here at College Park for, for two years, this past August. And it's, it really is crazy to think how fast time has gone. And as I've kind of thought back over my time here at College Park, I, I still think that the, the most impactful event or moment that I've ever had since I've been here happened in the first, my first two weeks here. Again, I, had, I got married in June, I, got, I moved here in July, and I started to work here in August. And, and Pastor Andrew Rogers, who was my supervisor at the time, he wasted no time throwing me into the deep end uh, of ministry. I'll never forget, the second week, he gave me my first, my first counseling case. A couple that was, that was twice, twice my age who were struggling in their marriage. And I just still remember the nerves uh, that day of just trying to figure out, what, what am I, I going to say to these people? You know, what can I offer them? But the Lord, again, he was, he was gracious to me, and he reminded me where my competency came from. I remember, I remember sitting down with them, and I was, I was really honest with them. I said, I, I cannot offer you years uh, of counseling experience. I cannot offer you timeless tips that I've learned from my many two months of, of marriage. <laughs> but what I will offer you is the sufficient word of God. 
no matter my age or my experience, my counsel is only as good as if it comes from this book. And if you are willing to trust in what the scriptures say about marriage and about God and what he says and his commands, God says that his word does not return to him empty. It will accomplish all of its purposes. And so for the next four months, we met together, we searched the scriptures together, and we grew together. I'm sure I didn't say everything uh, I should have said, and I'm sure I said plenty of things I wish I could have said differently. But over the past, again, two years uh, of ministry, the scriptures continue to prove themselves over and over again to be sufficient for all of life and godliness. So then, church, in light of this, let's live in such a way that shows that we believe that the scriptures are sufficient. Let's read the word. Let's study the word. Let's memorize the word. Let's sing the word and continue to sit under the preaching of the word. Let's teach the word, counsel the word, pray the word, share the word, encourage one another with the word. When you're in sin, confess the word. When you're happy, rejoice in the word. When you're in mourning, lament the word. When you're lonely, comfort yourselves with the word. When you're downcast, cling to the word. And when all hope seems lost, trust the word. For when you look to the sufficient word, you will see the glory of your sufficient Savior who loved you and died for you and gave himself for you. May we be, me as a church, may we as a church be known as a people who never tire of hearing the scriptures. Christ's word is sufficient because Christ is sufficient. And let us cling to his word for all things until he comes again. Let's pray. Father, your word is sufficient because Christ is sufficient. Help us, Lord, to love your word as we should and see your son Jesus as he truly is. Lord, we love you and continue to feed us by your word until you come again. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.